Malolele, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Kohokuinua, Kokoroi Hawkins. Coming up... The original Deputy Prime Minister remains the same, John Russell, Prime Minister, and few of the four ministers that were appointed. Familiar faces in Papua New Guinea's new cabinet. Also... It will be just medicine news, not for recreation news, and has to be only for residents. Cook Islands to review laws on medicinal use of cannabis, and we learn about the role in languages used by a Tongan Matapule and royal spokesman. You know, the oratory art of having orators speak on behalf of chiefs or Matapule speaking on behalf of, you know, our royals, but not only that, but also from the community as well. The returned Papua New Guinea Prime Minister, James Marape, has named his new cabinet and includes many in the same roles as before. Mr Marape was returned after election process that has been called the worst in PNG's history. There are also some innovations in the cabinet with a coffee minister and an oil palm minister, though there is no one specifically to focus on the election fiasco. Our PNG correspondent Scott Wyde told Don Wiseman about the new lineup. The original Deputy Prime Minister remains the same, John Russell, Prime Minister, and few of the four ministers that were appointed remain the same. Let me just go through the list and have a chat about them. So William Duma, who is you know, the other biggest coalition partner leader for URP, is the Minister for State Enterprises. He's retained that ministerial portfolio. He was Minister for State Enterprises in the last government, and this he's retained it. Ling Staki has remained the Minister for Treasury. Soroy Eoe is the Minister for provincial and local level government. Rainbow Paita, the Minister for Finance and Implementation, those are the ones that have remained the same. Richard Maru, who was in the previously a PNC member and has started his own party, uh, he's Minister for International Trade and, and Investment. Now, Richard Maru brings with him a, a wealth of experience as former Commerce Minister, former Managing Director of the National Development Bank, which he practically resurrected from bankruptcy. Um, Justin Tachenko uh, has been moved from housing to foreign affairs. Don Pollier, who was ousted in the previous uh, election, spent one term outside of politics, is now the Minister for Higher Education, Research, Science and Technology and Sports. I'm not too sure why they've moved sports, uh, combined sports with the Ministry for Higher Education, Research and Science. Solan Mirisin is the member for Teleforming. He's been given the portfolio of Minister for Works and Highways. Now that ministry, that Works Ministry has been tweaked a bit given, uh, highways have been given a bit more prominence by adding it to the Minister Ministry for Works. So previously it was just Ministry for Works, now it's Ministry for Works and Highways. Pila Niningi is the Justice and Attorney General and uh, Walter Schnobelt, Minister for Transport and Civil Aviation. Member for Wabeg, who's a medical doctor by profession, has been given the Ministry for Health, Dr. Lino Tom. So he's got project management background, good track record of delivery as civil servant and both as a first-term MP. Um, The new ministries that have been created are three interesting ministries. One, the Minister for Oil Palm is Francis Maneke and the Minister for Coffee. So those two commodities have had ministries created for them. So Ministry for Coffee and Ministry for Oil Palm. So Francis Maneke, who's from the East New Britain, Oil Palm Province, and Joe Cooley, uh, the Minister for Coffee. All right, no ministry for election management. 
That's, I guess, the most obvious thing there. No ministry specifically, as you said, for election management. I guess the elephant in the room is this horrendous election process that the country's just been through and everyone has been saying that things need to change. Are there any sign of any levers being put in place that will ensure that there will be change? Yes, immediately after the elections and when declarations were being made and members were being sworn in and parliament was in session, there was a short statement put out by uh, the member for Wabeg, Dr. Lino Tom, indicating that there was a committee being put in place and the first order of business for this government was to find solutions How fast that committee will work, uh, I'm not too sure, and it remains to be seen what the order of business, as he put it, and the list of priorities will be for this committee. And the obvious things that need to be fixed are, of course, the electoral rules, conduct, and the ability of the Electoral Commission to go out and actually do the job, its funding, and we have the November budget session coming up and everybody will be watching the budget session to see how much the electoral commission will be getting in this budget and again budgets are one thing on paper and then the actual implementation even though it's law the actual implementation and the money hitting the bank is a totally different animal altogether when we come to implementation of government priorities so on two fronts one the investigation into what went wrong we pretty much have a good idea of what went wrong the security issues the you know, implementation of the guns report, as I mentioned previously in our previous interview, the, the issue of security, the guns need to be addressed, punitive measures taken on those who continue to break the law during elections and try to hijack the situation. So all that needs to be taken into account by this committee that they've mentioned. The Cook Islands Secretary of Health's team is preparing a paper to take to Cabinet for a formal decision on amendments to legislation for medicinal cannabis users. It follows the announcement of the results of a cannabis referendum which was held alongside the 2022 general election. The referendum question stated, should we review our cannabis laws to allow for research and medicinal use? Bob Williams spoke to Lydia Lewis about the outcome of the referendum and what it means for the Cook Islands going forward. My recollection is uh, over 60% of those that voted uh, supported for some form of uh, amendments to legislations or policies in the Cook Islands for use of cannabis for medicinal uh, uses. Uh, So what it means is I will be guided by the Prime Minister's office in terms of uh, advancing uh, this work. Uh, it will require a policy decision that has to be developed uh, by key agencies, uh, including ourselves, and probably working with police uh, and other agencies of government to develop the policy paper. And then uh, I guess that we'll have to go back to Cabinet for a formal decision. What implications does this have for people who need to use medicinal cannabis for health reasons? What does it allow them to do and does it mean that they won't be committing criminal offences going forward? Well, ultimately that will be the the main issue. Uh, It is to avoid uh, people cultivating their own cannabis for um, issues that may have impact on the narcotic laws that we have in the country. Uh, So I guess the policy will look around uh, approval process uh, by health professionals 
and identifying how many people in country uh, that requires that form of medicine. And also at the same time, we're also looking what is available in New Zealand or Australia uh, that has been approved uh, for medical uh, use and whether we can have access uh, to those um, medicinal uh, medicines available in New Zealand or Australia. Have you contacted or been in contact um, with your New Zealand counterparts to uh, discuss the best options going forward for Cook Islands? Yeah, there's uh, research done by my pharmacy chief pharmacist uh, to have a look at what's available in New Zealand and also in Australia. So that work is currently underway. What prompted this referendum? There are members of the community who think that uh, they have uh, patients or families who uh, require that form of medication. And of course, um, they have the right to raise uh, those issues publicly. And I guess that's what happened in this situation. And I've spoken with one of the political parties that currently has a petition in for the election, but is also concerned about the way in which the referendum was completed. In particular, they were concerned about the fact that there was no question in Māori, only in English. Can you please explain why that is, or, you know, from a health perspective for elderly, do you think that that was an issue as well for vulnerable people not understanding? It might be a valid point, but I cannot speak for that political party. And of course, uh, I was in party to the development of those questions. Just so it's clear for tourists, is this solely about medicinal use? Well, for me, as a secretary of health, it will be just medicine use, not for recreation use. And that's the only for residents. I'm not sure we'll be extending that to anyone outside of the Cook Islands. Australian-based Tongan language radio broadcaster Suliani Light was last week bestowed an esteemed position of Matapule and royal spokesman by Tonga's princess Latufui Meka in Brisbane, Australia. The position requires him to address and relay any messages to Tonga's King Tupo VI during his visits to Australia. The customary role is a remnant of Tonga's imperial past, where commoners were forbidden to speak to Tongan kings and queens, considered to be living gods by Tongans at the time. RNZ Pacific's Finau Funua spoke with Suleni Light and began by asking him about his new title. Um, so His Majesty the King, King Tupo VI, has uh, bestowed a title on myself. The title is Lava Iloaola, which is His Majesty's uh, chief attendant. Uh, It was bestowed upon me at a traditional kava ceremony, which was held at the Brisbane City Botanic Gardens. And the Olovaha, or the uh, representative of His Majesty the King in the Royal Kava Circle for that installation ceremony, was the esteemed High Commissioner of the Kingdom of Tonga to Australia. That's Her Royal Highness Princess Angelica Latufuipeka Tuku'aho, who travelled from Canberra to Brisbane in Queensland, uh, with a delegation from the Tonga High Commission um, in order to uh, fulfil the customary uh, ceremony and the rituals of the carpet ceremony for that installation uh, ceremony. Uh, the ceremony itself also included many members of our local Brisbane Tongan community, including a lot of our young youth, uh, members of our Queensland Tongan Language School, uh, members of the Mamana Tongan Academy of Arts and Culture, 
as well as some of the elders of the Tongan community who were also present on the day. And this title, what what does it mean to you to be bestowed it, to, to be given this this role? For myself personally, for the last thirty years, um, I've you know worked diligently with you know partners in the community to serve the Tongan diaspora, both in Australia and abroad, particularly in services to media. Um, all of that work has pretty much been volunteer, and I believe that this title is an extension of that work, that that service not only to His Majesty and to the people of Tonga, but more broadly to the Tongan diaspora globally. Uh, the palace office that gave me the letter in terms of the um, installation title of Lava Iloaola uh, stated that um, my role will be His Majesty's chief attendant throughout, for the, all of Australia. Uh, but in saying that, though, my service to our Tongan community is, is more broad, it's global, and I see this as an opportunity uh, from His Majesty to continue to serve both His Majesty but also to serve the people of Tonga in uh, maybe a broader and even larger capacity moving forward. Um, this is a, a traditional role, and you know we have, um, you know, we, we see this whenever the king visits New Zealand or wherever. What does it entail when he visits Australia? So traditionally, when His Majesty travels abroad, particularly if His Majesty wants to come to Australia or New Zealand, I suppose, but in my case for Australia. Uh, there'll be moments when the community will come and meet with His Majesty, and traditionally we don't speak directly to, you know, to the sovereign, and there will usually be a, a person who's speaking on behalf of the community, and His Majesty will have a chief to respond on on His Majesty's behalf, and that's where my role will kick in. Uh, in addition to that, His Majesty usually has meetings with um, other delegates whilst he's in Australia, both Tongan and, and from other communities as well. And I would envisage that part of my role would also, you know, incorporate facilitating some of those meetings as well um, in terms of perhaps speaking at times on His Majesty's behalf in consultation with His Majesty uh, and then fulfilling any of the traditional obligations required whilst His Majesty is travelling anywhere in the Australian continent. This um, traditional thing of the king um, not directly communicating, like, um, I mean, to have a a spokesperson like you, um, could you explain that to um, to people who are not familiar with Tongan culture? Absolutely. Um, it, it's really quite beautiful. I know it, sometimes from the outset it might look a little bit different to uh, non-Pacific, through uh, a non-Pacific lens, but from a Pacific lens there's a great beauty of not speaking directly to, to His Majesty the King and having uh, not only our nobles but members of our royal family, um, having people, you know, the oratory art of having orators speak on behalf of chiefs or mataapule speaking on behalf of you know our royals, but not only that, but also from the community as well. So even when the community comes to meet with the king, there will be a spokesperson from the community who will um, make an oratory presentation, you know, to His Majesty on behalf of the of the community. So traditionally, the context could be a situation where their Majesties are in a a place where, which is a venue where there's a meeting and the community will come together sometimes for a prayer meeting or um, to pre- present traditional gifts to the king and there will be someone from sitting on from on the behalf of the people to speak to his majesty using uh, traditional Tongan oratory, usually a much higher language uh, in respect to his majesty and his majesty will be there but he will have his chief sitting down um, usually lower than him on the floor to speak back to the people on his behalf. So it becomes an oratory between chiefs. 
um, speaking on behalf of each party, so the royal family on one party and then the people on the other party. And to see that art form uh, in its in its purest form and seeing it played out and hearing the traditional words and the hiliaki and the metaphors that are used and the higher language that is used, it's 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 like poetry in some senses, but it's also very, very deep, deeply rooted in the culture and there's a beauty to speaking indirectly and to make those presentations using that traditional oratory form. And the language is, is the way you speak um, to the royals is different. Absolutely. Could you describe that as well? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, essentially, Tonga has three levels of Tongan language. There's a royal Tongan language, which is reserved for the monarch himself. There's a noble language used for members of the aristocracy. And then there's a common language used by everyday Tongan people. Uh, when we're addressing the monarch directly, we use a royal language, a much, much higher language, uh, which has its own vocabulary, its own words uh, that are not often heard by everyday um, Tongans. Uh, and then we have the noble words, which are heard quite uh, common, usually used in broadcasting, also used uh, for formal occasions, particularly where there are in nobles present, but also used as a, a very respectful language. And then there's the everyday Tongan language. So in terms of uh, addressing the monarch directly, uh, they'll use the, you know, the usage of the royal language. Uh, the great thing with the chiefs, though, when the chiefs are speaking to each other, that they're addressing one another. They're not actually addressing the king directly or addressing the people directly, but the oratory takes place between one chief and another chief. And that, that in itself is quite unique because they've got the chief with um, their particular title, their name, and again, it's, it's, it comes back to being quite indirect, but just showing such deep reverence and deep respect for the monarch and for the other parties present at that particular meeting in time. Malau Pito, that brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Mo meow.